Well, how was your homework this week? Did anything stand out to you from, from we were in Romans 9, verse 30 through 11, verse 10. Did you notice anything new or different from previous times that you'd read this passage? Paul hasn't read up on any, or his prayers or his desires or his enthusiasm. Yeah. Paul is still just as just as enthusiastic, just as as prayerful, just as just as heartbroken, just as emotional as he has been. Yeah, if we remember from last week, this whole section, chapters 9 through 11 is is all about the Jewish people. It's about God's faithfulness to them and about their denial of the Messiah. So chapter 9 dealt mostly with Israel's past election. And today, with the bulk of our lesson being in chapter 10, it's their present, it's Israel's present rejection. Um, The Jewish people rejected Jesus. And Paul was heartbroken by this. But he also knew that God was still good and faithful and just. And he show, he's, he's using this as an opportunity to show Israel exactly why God is still good. Um, so we could, we could take a whole lot more in-depth look at this passage, but we're, go- we're going pretty surface just because it's so long. So that way we have a little time to talk in our small groups. But, um, so we will start by reading... Romans 
for Christ is the end of the law. And so last week, it was a lot about the idea of election, about God drawing people to him, about, about God's role. And here Paul starts discussing the role of, of human responsibility. But to get a kind of a bigger picture, we gotta, we got to think about the, it's not just what he's writing in this passage, and it's what he's written in the whole book. And so um, Romans 1, 18 through 19. And so Paul is saying the Gentiles do not have a full picture of righteousness because they had no access to the law, right? That was one of the things that, that Paul talked about previously. And then um, Romans two fourteen through 15. And so Paul here is talking about the Gentiles. Again, they didn't know the law, but they had a conscience. And that, that conscience was sort of um, an aspect of, of the law of their lives, but they still didn't follow it. And so both of these passages are about the Gentiles and about their wickedness. And yet what we see that Paul was just telling us in our in our Romans 9 and 10 passage, that the Gentiles were more open to the gospel than the Jews who had the law and who weren't the wicked ones. Um, the problem was the Jews sought to create their own righteousness. Timothy Keller says, the ones who knew the most about God did not come to know God, while the ones who knew the least about God came to know God best. The ones who most wanted to be righteous ended up dead in their sins, while the ones who least wanted to be righteous ended up holy and blameless in his sight. And yet we still can see the grace of God in this. Because in Israel's rejection of God, the Gentiles had the chance. They received salvation because Israel rejected so I was at a leadership conference when I was in high school, completely secular conference. Um, but one of the section, sessions that I remember, we all received a block, just like this, although I think they were painted. It was one of those kids' sets that were, so I think mine was green, if I remember correctly. But we were asked about this block. We all got one as we walked in. We were asked about this block. What, you know, why would I have given you a block? What do you think it means? And he told us we had, we had two options with the block, both of which started by it just being placed on the ground. And he said we could either put the, ground, put the block on the ground and trip over it, or we could put the block on the ground and we could build upon it. 
Now, this lesson may have stuck with me a little more because I knew at that point I was going to be an engineer, but um, anything related to buildings and foundations kind of stuck with me. But I like to think, though, that it, it made me think of some of the passages in the Bible just like this one we just read. Whether the speaker knew it or not, he was conveying this same idea that Paul is conveying here. That building block or that stumbling stone is Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we can either find a foundation to build our lives on or a stumbling block to trip over. So Psalm 118, verse 22. And so if you want to hear more about Christ as the cornerstone, Pastor Matt preached on this idea a couple of weeks ago. I would be glad to help you find the recording of that sermon if you, um, if you have questions on that. But, but that's, that's what... That's what Paul's talking about here in, um, in verse 22. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And, and then in um, verse 33, when he quotes Isaiah 28, 16, when he says, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's, that's what he's talking about. That's the, the picture of what he's talking about. But then Paul goes on to again express his burden for Israel. And he talks about the zeal of Israel, but this zeal is misplaced. They are zealous for God and will go to any length to obey God. But they didn't feel a need for a spiritual salvation. This is why when you think about the, the Jews and, well, this can't be the can't be the Messiah type of thing. They were looking for salvation, but it was a political salvation they were looking for. They wanted and, and were looking for a Messiah that was a warrior or a political leader because they didn't need spiritual salvation. So that's not what they were looking for. They didn't think they needed. They definitely needed it. Um, upon Israel's return from the Babylonian exile, that's post-Daniel, so the idolatry was all but gone. They didn't have statues that they worshipped. They didn't have um, things they bowed down to. They worshipped God alone, at least on the outside. And they even took it upon themselves to improve God's law. They added their own traditions and made that be law. They were focused on good works and religious deeds. Many were devout, but devotion will not save them. They were self-righteous and proud. They willfully and stubbornly resisted the truth because they misunderstood the law. And then we get to um, Romans 10, 5 through 13. Is the word of faith that we proclaim, 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The law cannot give righteousness. The law is a signpost. It points the way, but it cannot take someone to the destination. Uh, you'll, you, if, if you see on mine, I know it's hard to see, but I've got all these like verse references written on the sides of these chapters. Um, it's, Paul is talking to the Jews, talking about the Jews. They're going to know the Old Testament, so he is, he is pulling verses they would have known as he's writing this, right? And so um, verse 5 is from Leviticus 18.5. Paul is trying to remind them that obedience on the surface is not hard obedience and is not the obedience that Moses taught. He's telling them this is nothing new. And then Paul references Deuteronomy 30, um, verse verse. 12 through 14 are what's actually quoted, but he's really the, the passage is, is verses 1 through 14. And the emphasis here again is, is the heart, their inward spiritual condition. And you'll notice that Paul substitutes, instead of saying the commandment, as he's quoting some of this, he changes it to Christ. He's making the point that the gospel is available and accessible to all. Um, and Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and brain. Moses knew that it took more than just obeying the law to obtain righteousness. And then we see in verses 9 through 10, we see what is needed for salvation. And when it... Um, when it talks about the, the word there, there in this whole passage, it's, it's the gospel, that message of faith, right? Now, verses 9 and 10, those are ones that you've heard before. It's because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The focus of those verses is not on the zeal of someone's faith, but on the object of their faith. And it's, it's a twofold faith. First, that Jesus is Lord. Um, and when it says there, Jesus is Lord, that Greek word used there is kurios. This was the Greek version of the personal name of God, Yahweh. This was an indication, not just of God's deity, but of his authority over the world. And then second um, is that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You're believing in the work of Jesus Christ. You're believing in his life, his death, and his resurrection. It must be believed and our trust must be transferred from our own efforts to Christ's work on our behalf. Um, 
Now, in, in Timothy Keller's commentary, he talks about the ideas of confessing and believing as two sides of the same faith coin. Um, if you think about many of the Psalms as an example, but Hebrew poetry and Hebrew writings overall, they use this idea called parallelism, where these two ideas are meant to be held together, not as separate things. And so confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart aren't two separate things, they're the same thing. Um, if, if we think that we have to um, that we have to do something, that we have to confess with our mouth, then it's us having to do something to earn it, right? And that's, that's not the idea that he's trying to convey. And so there's, it's, it's, it's just believing, but it's, it's that, that idea of parallelism. Um, and if you want to mark um, verse 11, he's quoting Isaiah 28, 16, and 13 is Joel 2:32. if you're interested in that. And then we have Romans 10, 14 through 17. And so Paul here is asking a series of rhetorical questions to stress the urgency and the priority of evangelism. He has established that they must call on the name of the Lord through belief in him. But to believe, they must hear. Saving faith doesn't happen magically. The content must penetrate their understanding. You know, I've, I've shared parts of my story with this group before. Um, I... I was, but you get to hear it again, sorry. Um, I was blessed to be born to parents that are believers. They took us to church, I mean, nearly from birth, practically. They served, they were involved. They taught us a lot about God from both their life with God and the words they shared. I knew about Jesus from a very young age. But my moment of understanding the gospel came during a Sunday school class when I was eight years old. My teacher was Ellen Turnbull, wonderful woman of God. I do not remember anything she said that day. And I'm sure it was not much different from anything that my parents had told me the previous eight years of my life. What I do remember is clarity. I remember that it all made sense and that I understood that I needed a savior and that was Jesus. And I went home after church and went into the kitchen while my mom was making lunch and I told her I was ready for a grown-up Bible and I was ready to be baptized. I had heard about Jesus for eight years. At home, at church, from my parents, from my grandmother. I watched Christian videos like Salty the Songbook, The Music Machine, The Donut Hole. Um, I had been reading Bible stories on my own, listening to music, singing the songs. But it took Mrs. Turnbull to give me that needed understanding. 
so it, it's, it's not just the words being spoken that has to penetrate to the heart. But it's also not just the ears hearing the words. For the lost to hear and understand the message, someone has to speak it. Now, the word the ESV uses, that's what's in your, your handouts, is preaching. That word is kariso in Greek. It means to proclaim, to be a herald, to make announcements. Heralds of the time were those that communicated the news. So this preaching here that he's talking about, how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's not a sermon. That's not what, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what that word means. It's just an open proclamation. And in verse 15, he asks the final question, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, I'm going to step on some toes and I'm not going to apologize for it. So this is the verse that people use as an out for themselves. I didn't feel a calling from God to go overseas or serve as a missionary, so I haven't been sent. I don't have to tell people about Jesus. Well, you're wrong. Just flat out, you're wrong. While the word sent there is apostello, meaning to send forth, it's, it's the same root as the word that we use for the 12 New Testament followers, followers of Jesus that had that specific calling to go and tell people about Jesus. They were specifically sent with a purpose. But I have news for you. You were sent just like the apostles were. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Is that you, Sandy? I'm sorry, yes. Thank you. I was reading up here. <laughs> Go therefore and, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are your calling to be sent. All followers are called to go and make disciples. And we can't make disciples if we aren't sharing the gospel. All are called to be God's witnesses, whether that is around the world or in our hometown. And we can't be a witness of the gospel if we aren't sharing the gospel with the people around us. Evangelism is absolutely necessary by everyone. It requires a willingness to speak out. It requires not just proclamation, but persuasion. You're not just getting someone to hear the words, but to, to understand them. And it requires the transmission of a body of truth. It's not just your opinion, but it's an authoritative revelation from Christ. Uh, the reference quoted in verse 15 is found in both Isaiah 52.7 and in Nahum uh, 1.15. Warren Wiersbe says the Nahum reference had to do with the destruction of the Assyrian Empire, the hated enemies of the Jews. 
Nineveh was their key city. You remember Nineveh, right? A wicked city to which God had sent Jonah some 150 years before Nahum wrote. God had patiently dealt with Nineveh, but now his own judgment was going to fall. It was this good news that the messenger brought to the Jews, and this is what made his feet so beautiful. And then in Isaiah, when it's, when it's quoted in, from Isaiah, or when Isaiah uses it, it is about the future event of the return of Christ. This messenger with the beautiful feet made the proclamation that God had defeated the enemies of Israel and that the Messiah was reigning. Now, I wear a size 12 shoe. I have for years. Sometimes I can squeeze into an 11 if it's the right kind of shoe, the right style. For the record, size 12 shoes are not cute. Just going to throw it out there. It is impossible to make something that big look cute. I have never fully appreciated that my feet could be beautiful. Yet it doesn't take cute shoes or even, I do make up for it by wearing cute socks, you know. Um, doesn't, doesn't take cute shoes or cute socks to have beautiful feet. It doesn't take regular pedicures and new nail polish. It takes sharing the gospel. So this spring, here's one challenge for you. As you're getting your feet flip-flop ready, think about what it really takes to have beautiful feet. And then in verse 16, we're still quoting the Old Testament. Um, I, he's quoting Isaiah 53.1, saying that not all who hear will obey the word. Um, and then we have Romans 10, 18 through 21. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And so here we see some of the results of Israel's rejection. You know, Paul starts by asking, well, maybe they just haven't heard, right? But then, Marta, what verse does he quote? Their voice, <coughs> their voice has gone out to the, all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It is Psalm 19, verse 4. Excellent. <laughs> he quotes Psalm 19, verse 4. And while we don't have time today, I would encourage you to take a look at that, that whole psalm. Psalm 19 talks about the revelation of God in the world in, in verses 1 through 6, and in the Word in verses 7 through 11. He's saying God's creation declares the glory of God. And as as he's speaking to um, and says, you know, their voice has gone out to all the earth. Um, you know, the, we have to remember our context here. He's talking about the Jewish people. And so he's not talking about all those unreached people groups. He's talking about Israel. That's what his world is at that point in time. Um, and so, 
so we have to, um, so this isn't saying the whole world had heard the gospel at this time, but he is saying the Jews have heard the gospel. Because during Jesus' ministry, his direction to his apostles was to preach to Israel. It wasn't until the stoning of Stephen that God sent the gospel to Samaria in Acts 8 and to the rest of the Gentiles in Acts 10. Well, so they've heard it, but maybe they just didn't understand, right? That's what he asks in verse 19. Maybe they just didn't understand it. But Paul responds with Deuteronomy 32, 21. And he says that only the Gentiles had no understanding. Uh, but in, in verse 20, which references Isaiah 65, 1, he shares with the Gentiles. Now, now that the Gentiles are understanding, the Jews should as well. And yet it's the Gentiles that responded to the gospel. And Paul continues that, th that thought there in verse 21, quoting Isaiah 65, 2. So he continues with Isaiah, showing that God still yearns for his people. God's favor for the Gentiles did not change the fact that he still loved the Jews. He still loved his people. Um, and then Romans 11, verses 1 through 10. And so Paul starts us off with another question. What does he ask? Yeah, has God rejected his people? Did God abandon them? Right? But Paul makes four arguments in these verses just to show us that God has not rejected Israel. And first he says, I'm Jewish. I follow Jesus. I'm Jewish. God hasn't forgotten about his people. Um, if God had cast away his people, how do you explain my conversion? That's what Paul's saying, and he's saying, you can't. Uh, then, then Paul reminds us of the election doctrine that we talked about in previous weeks. God has determined in advance to bring Jews to him. And we've 
we could go into that more in this verse, but we've gone over it the last two weeks. And so I'll let you go back to that um, just for the sake of time. Third, he reminds us of Elijah. He is recalling the story in 1 Kings 19. Um, Queen Jezebel, she was an evil queen. She turned Ahab and the nation away from God. And she had all the prophets killed. Elijah thought he was alone. He thought he was the last prophet and in reality follower of God who remained. And he cried out to God um, in 1 Kings 19.14, which is what's quoted here as well. He cried out to God and then God responded to Elijah in 1 Kings 19.18 to tell them there were 7,000 remaining, a faithful remnant. Why would God keep a faithful remnant if he had abandoned Israel? And then finally, Paul reminds us that that remnant exists because of grace and not by works. He reminds us of the hardening of hearts by quoting Isaiah 29.10. Uh, that's, which verse is that? Verse 8. Uh, and then he quoted uh, Psalm 69.22-23. That's one of the Messianic Psalms that's actually quoted many times throughout the New Testament. And Warren Wiersbe says, This is what happened to Israel. Their spiritual blessings should have led them to Christ, but instead they became a snare that kept them from Christ. Their very religious practices and observances became substitutes for the real experience of salvation. That same thing still happens today. But here's the point I want to make to you this week, what I want you to walk away thinking about. We need to tell people about Jesus in a way that will help them understand. Yes, we need to show them with our lives, but also with our words. Um, Tony Merida, he wrote the Christ-Centered Expository Commentary for Romans, says we should never look down our noses at those who are apart from Christ. The proper heart attitude is heartbrokenness, not an air of superiority. Grace should humble us, and it should cause us to long for others to know the saving grace of God, too. Grace should cause us to pray like Paul. To be an evangelist like Paul, we need to learn to pray for the salvation of others. So in a couple of weeks, we are going to take a brief pause on Romans and look more closely at a particular method of evangelism. So next week, so that causes us to change our schedule although it's kind of providential because we skipped a page in your handouts. So go to page 33, should be your next um, observation sheet. You're going to mark out the 32 at the top and you're going to write in 36. So next week we're going to go verses 11 through 36. We're going to finish out chapter 11 of Romans. And in the following week, we're still going to meet as usual. But instead of Romans, we're going to take a look, closer look at how to share the gospel. You know, evangelism comes easily to some people and is much more difficult for others. 
But as I've shown you today, we are all called to evangelism in one way or another, even if it is not an area we are gifted in. And if we are called to share the gospel, then we need to have a method that we're familiar with to help us do that more easily and more comfortably. So in two weeks, we're going to talk through a gospel tract, uh, a particular one that I like because of its simplicity, um, and through a bit of practice with it, hopefully we make that calling that we all have a little bit easier for those of us that struggle in the area of evangelism. So next week, Romans 11, 11 through 36. The following week, we're going to do the two ways to live gospel tract and and then we'll jump back into Romans 12 after that. Any questions? All right. So we are going to break up into our small groups.